how about if, um, if we just read the teaching text today? Uh, it comes from Psalm 8, and uh, we did so well praying that prayer together in unison. Let's just read the text together uh, in, in unison as well. So here we go. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. It's a beautiful morning. You know, I don't know what it's doing outside. I don't really care. But in, in this space, this is a beautiful morning. It's, uh, yeah, it's really special to get to be together. There's something, um, well, the promise of Scripture is that when, when we draw near to God, that He draws near to us, that He, that he meets us. And, and so this morning, like, as we are, are just, we're here because of Jesus. We're here to draw close to Him. And, um, and I hope you sense, I hope you sense His presence, His Spirit here with us. Uh, even as like as a congregation, you know, if on any given week, right, there are going to be those of us who are just celebrating. I mean, life life is good, and there's joy, and it's overflowing, and and we want to share it. And then there are going to be those in the church family who are who are hurting, I mean, who are suffering, who feel pain. And there's something about the way like God brings people together. Like there's this. There's this one little command uh, given in the New Testament. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, celebrate with those who are celebrating, and mourn with those who mourn. Like, grieve, feel the grief. And, and there's something about, like, the Spirit, I think, gives a congregation the, the elasticity to be able to do that, even in one space, even in one service on a Sunday morning, to celebrate and to grieve uh, together. And so I don't know what you need uh, from from God today, but he does. Uh, and maybe you don't even know what you need, and that's okay. Um, but I think to just, to just be aware, um, to be present to Jesus, maybe you need comfort, like maybe your hearts are hurting today, and you just need some comfort. Uh, I believe God will give it to you. Maybe you need some challenge, like maybe you realize like, oh, I, I just kind of, my life is just kind of kind of boring, and I need something to light a fire inside of me. I need some challenge. Maybe you need hope. Maybe you need help. Whatever that is, um, let's just trust that God is going to meet us in that need. So a couple of years ago, I heard this idea of a keystone habit. Keystone habits. I read a book on habits. Uh, it didn't really change anything for me, but I, I know more about uh, my habits. And that's the point of reading a book, right, is just to read it, not so you actually change anything. 
Are you, are you familiar with uh, the, the keystone, the idea in these archways? Like if you ever see these old school buildings, um, you have a keystone right in the middle that, that if that keystone were to come out of place, the archway would collapse. And so they, they use this idea of a keystone habit, like that there are certain practices, certain habits in our life that impact, we do this one thing and it has all of these other downstream impacts. One habit that changes lots of other things. You, I mean, you'd be amazed at this. Like, and sometimes the habits are kind of unrelated. Like, you would not believe how much brushing your teeth in the morning will impact your social engagements throughout the day. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, one habit has a huge, huge impact. Um, exercise is a keystone habit. So if you're, like, if you're saying, okay, I need... I turned 40 this, this last year, and it's like, I need a health reset. Like, I just need to, like, give some priority to my health. And the problem is you try to take on everything. It's like, oh, I'll change my eating habits, and I'll change, like, all the things. Um, but studies find that it, have found that if you do one thing, which is just exercise, just simple 30 minutes a day of exercise, it's a keystone habit that ends up changing lots of other things. Your eating habits automatically kind of change. Uh, you're more likely to eat better. You think more clearly. You're more productive. You sleep better. And exercise is an antidepressant. That's kind of cool, right? One habit that changes so many other things. Um, and I think in our spiritual lives, like our life with God, there are these keystone spiritual practices. There are these, like, these simple habits that, that have these massive impacts. And one of these habits is Scripture, is engaging with God's Word. Um, letting Scripture speak to us, listening to God's voice through Scripture. There was a, a recent, somewhat recent study done by Lifeway uh, that said that daily Bible engagement is the number one predictor of spiritual growth. So just like encountering God through Scripture, like daily, whatever that rhythm is, is the number one predictor of spiritual growth in our life. There was a, a reveal study, it was about a decade ago now, said this, um, but of all the personal spiritual practices, then they list some, well, like prayer, confession, tithing, that's, you know, giving 10% of our resources, journaling, solitude, serving, or worship, we find that one practice stands out. Spiritual, ref uh, sorry, scripture reflection. So just like reading scripture, but like internalizing it, reflecting on it, more than any other practice moves people forward in their love for God and love for others. Engaging with the Bible is a keystone habit. Now, full disclosure, um, I love the Bible. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, it is one of, like, the great joys of my life uh, to, be, to be invited to teach the Bible. And, and I love it. And I love to see people uh, come to experience the Bible, God through the Scriptures in new ways. And I love to see people, like, um, you know, sort of wherever you are in your spiritual journey, taking a step in in listening to God's voice through, through Scripture. Um, and so, uh, this, is, this is what, there's this great couple of verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul, who's kind of like this father figure of the early church, he planted lots of churches, he's writing to his son. He, he considers Timothy like his son in the faith. It's uh, this very tender relationship. And he writes to Timothy, who's now leading a church, and he says this, but as for you, I want you to continue in what you've learned and you've become convinced of because you know that you know from those you have whom you have learned it. 
and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. So he gives this picture of Timothy, like, remember, like, your, your parents were, like, reading Scripture to you as, at a young age. It's an amazing blessing. Um, and these Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And they says this. Maybe you've heard this before. All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So like what Paul is saying to Timothy is like scripture, God's, God's word, our Bibles. Like the purpose of them is that we would be wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Like because there's something that happens like when we, when we open up our hearts uh, alongside scripture, listening to God speak, it leads us to a place where we have encounters with Jesus, right? Like where, where we experience, where we become wise to salvation. We, we, all of a sudden, we become aware of our need, of, of like our, our lack. Maybe our, our backs are kind of turned to Jesus in some ways. And, and God just like, he opens our hearts so that we become wise to salvation through Christ Jesus. But secondly, it says that scripture it does something else. Like, and it's a little bit what you were saying, Reuben, of like this lifelong journey. It's like, all, um, Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for these things, teaching, uh, so that we can like understand God who is, is light and, and receive God's light into our life, rebuking. Anybody had a good rebuke in the last while? It's, right, a loving rebuke. It's, it's not fun. I had a, one of my... Um, one of my um, kind of like mentors in the faith who was our, our regional pastor when I was back in Kansas, I, I, like, I said this thing to him and we were in a conversation and he said, you know, I'd like to offer you a loving rebuke. And I said, great. I'm so, thank you. I didn't say that, right? But it's, it's hard, like rebuke. But that's what scripture does. Like we... It's like God's light shines in our hearts, and, and I find out that I've got some shadows in there. Like, I've got some darkness in there, and, and that light shines, and, and rather than trying to adjust the light, I, I adjust myself to the light. That's what a rebuke is. It's, it's when we adjust ourselves to the light of Christ that shines into our hearts. Uh, for correcting us, it's, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, learning to walk in the light, training in righteousness or right relatedness, like where we just learn to live these light-filled lives. And the purpose of that is so that we, people of faith, would be thoroughly equipped, like thoroughly equipped for every good thing God asks us to do in the world. It's like this outward, it's not just, we don't just read the Bible for ourselves, we read it so that we're thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has called us to do in the world. How are we doing? Daily Bible engagement. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's just like a, a step of like, I don't know, I don't know anything about the Bible. Oh, well, great, that's a great place to start, is just like, just a small step. And there are so many apps, there are so many resources available uh, that will just like bring you a verse uh, right to your phone every morning and you just reflect on it and open your heart to it. Uh, there are, um, if maybe you've been doing that for a while and maybe it's just like, you know, sitting with Jesus in the morning, just like the first couple of minutes of the day, like, Lord, what do you want to speak to me? Reading a psalm in the morning, something like that. So, that's kind of the, the heartbeat of the next couple of weeks. Uh, the next couple of weeks, um, here on our Sunday mornings, um, we're going to be just like looking at the Bible, looking at the, the, the scriptures as like one big story. 
like one giant story that leads us to Jesus. Now, this is kind of the same thing we're doing on Wednesday nights. Uh, we won't cover exactly the same thing, so don't worry. Um, I didn't go to the school of redundancy school. Um, but, my wife laughed at that. That was, never, it was about redundancy. Yeah, good, 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 good. But what we're going to do is just kind of, we're going to cover the same kinds of things um, which we're doing on Wednesday nights to just like make the Bible as understandable as possible. So we're going to look at six parts, six parts of the story. Um, and, and all six parts are oriented around this one theme of the kingdom of God. Like you can organize the Bible, like there's this one theme and there are multiple, but I would say the kingdom of God is the theme of the scriptures from beginning from Genesis 1, page 1, all the way to Revelation 22, the last chapter in the Bible. It's the kingdom of God. That's the theme. Now, why do we say that? Well, first of all, like Jesus, it was the most talked about thing on the lips of Jesus was the kingdom of God. When Jesus started his ministry, what did he, what did he begin with? Hey, everybody, like attention, please. Turn around. Open up your minds because the kingdom of God is right here in your presence. Like, Jesus was the kingdom of God in flesh, right? The kingdom of God was the message of Jesus. When he taught his followers to pray, what did he teach them to pray for? Like, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life here on earth as it is in heaven. Um, after Jesus' resurrection, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Easter Sunday, which is the resurrection of Jesus. So in Acts chapter 1, it's so cool. Like verse 3, it says, After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days. Like, so we would kind of still be in that period, right, of 40 days after the resurrection. What did Jesus talk to his disciples about? Like, it, it, this is the resurrected Jesus just overcame sin and death and hell and the grave, and now he's entrusting this message to us, to his disciples, and what does Jesus say? This is the most important thing I can talk to you about. What does he talk about? The kingdom of God. Like, this is the central message of, of the scriptures. But what does that even mean? What is the kingdom of God? We don't live in kingdoms, right? I mean, you maybe watch movies of kingdoms or study history. What is kingdom, what does the kingdom of God look like? So uh, the, king, the word kingdom is, is just, um, it's a mashup of two words, king and dome, right? King, dome. And, and dome is short for domain right? A king domain. It is a domain in which someone is king. Someone has authority. Someone has say-so. Their will and their way hold sway. Now, here's the good news. We all have a kingdom. Did you, I don't know if you, like, thought about this recently, but, like, you have a domain in which you have say-so, in which you have authority. Like, your will and your way hold sway in a domain. Some of you are like, I'm glad we're finally talking about this. I've been trying to tell people. Now, now when you're born into the world, your, your kingdom is really, really small, right? I mean, or is it? Right? Because who commands a room more than a, you know, an infant who, like, needs something, right? And, and, and parents come running and, you know, like, we, oh, we got to meet the need of this child. But we come into this world and, like, we have a kingdom. And your kingdom might just be really small. It might just be your body. It might just be your physical being. 
But it also includes, like, right, the things that you own and the things that you're given and, and all of that. And so as a child grows, they have to figure out how to manage their, their domain. They, they have a room, but their room is in their parents' house, right? So, right, the parents will in a way kind of sway over that, over that kid's room. But that kid, like, they get protective of their domain. These are my toys. These are my clothes. Maybe this is just in my house, um, Right? And, and you, if you had, like, kids in the nursery or preschool, like, the, their kingdoms will bump into each other sometimes. Right? Like, it's like, wait a second, that's mine. And there's this little fight of kingdoms that happens. We had a clash of kingdoms in our van on the way to church this morning. I've apologized to Carmen. It's okay. Uh, are you with me? Does that make sense? Like, kids have this domain that they got to figure out how to navigate. It's like, who holds the remote in the living room? That's like the scepter of command, right? That's my domain. I get to say so. And then we have our cars. Our cars are like our little portable kingdoms. And, and right, we like, we take them around and we, you know, I had this in my notes before you shared this, Ruben, but it was a perfect example of like, we get angry sometimes, like when, when other kingdoms, like literally, or they cut us off in traffic, right? They bump into us, and so we get bigger and more aggressive kingdoms, and then we put, like, aggressive stickers on the back that say, back off. This is, like, this is all kingdom stuff, and, like, most of, most of the time, we think about our life as, like, my job is to make my kingdom bigger, expanded, more stuff, more say-so, more authority, and then protect it. Expand it and protect it. That's, that's my kingdom. And we all have a kingdom. And we're all doing this in some ways whether we think about it or not. But that's not the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is what happens when we surrender our kingdoms, our domains, to Jesus. When we say, it's not my will and my way that holds sway in my life, in the things that I have, but I'm actually entrusting Jesus to be king. The kingdom of God is the domain where where God is king, where God reigns, where God is in charge. And I had, a, I had an instructor who used to say, the kingdom of God is not where, it's not like it has physical boundaries, but it's when. Think about that for a second. The kingdom of God isn't where, you can't find it on a map, but it's when, because whenever Jesus is in charge, there is the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So the kingdom of God is, is meant to be um, the ways, uh, the way that we as his disciples live. And here's the good news. It's actually the best possible way to live. We were never meant to run our own lives. We can't, we, like the human soul was never meant to be in charge like that. And, and so it's actually, there's something about surrender and release that brings so much freedom and joy and life. It's the best possible way to live. So the story of scriptures is this epic story of, of God who is the true king and invites us to, to make him king, to recognize him as king of, of our lives. So um, let's, let's just look for a little bit here at the first couple verses of, of your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, o- open up your Bibles if you, if you have them. Yeah, I'd encourage you to, if you have an electronic copy or a print copy, either way uh, is fine. But Genesis chapter 1. So this story, this story that we have been given, the story that leads us to Jesus, to make him king, it begins with the king who creates. The king who creates. Verse 1 of Genesis 1. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. First four words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God. And this is a story about God. It is about God who is the king, and this king, he creates. Um, out of the overflow of, of God's love, like at the center of everything, at the center of the world, at the center of reality, is this being who is full of love more than we ever could imagine, who is full of joy more than we could ever imagine, who is at, like, his core, who is so good, we could never even conceive of it without revelation, right? Like, we, we couldn't imagine a being like God is. And, and Scripture describes, like, at the center of everything, there is this God who is love, and out of his love and his joy and his goodness, he overflows by creating, by just, like, speaking the world, creating the world into existence. It says the Spirit of God was, like, hovering over the waters. A couple of words here in Genesis 1 that are, are really interesting to take note of. Like, it says the, the earth was formless and empty. Formless and empty. Um, this is one of my favorite, I don't, I don't know a whole lot of Hebrew, but it's one of my favorite, favorite phrases to say in Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in. Uh, it, it goes like this, tohu vabohu. You know you want to say that, right? Tohu vabohu. Here we go. Yeah, formless and empty. That's what that means. And it's like, sometimes it's translated wild and waste. It's just like, this is like, this is like what God was working with. Like, and we don't like know what all of that was like, and we don't have ideas. I mean, this is what scripture says. It's like, the earth was like formless and empty, and it was dark, and there was like these deep waters, and in the Bible, whenever you have a picture of deep waters, it's a picture of chaos. It's a picture of, of like, darkness and, and even evil, right? Like, so the Spirit of God is, like, hovering over the deep waters, the chaos, this wild and waste, unruliness of it all. Uh, by the way, a side note, this is foreshadowing. If you jump all the way ahead to the end of the story, we'll be there in, like, six weeks. In Revelation 21, you ever wonder why in Revelation 21, when God, like, renews everything, it says... There was a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no longer any sea. Well, that's kind of a bummer. Like, are we not going to be able to, like, water ski in heaven? Like, what, what's up? Or fishing or whatever? It's, no, it's a picture of this. Like, God ruling over the sea and the evil and the chaos, and it's gone. It's like, finally forever, there is no more evil. He cleanses it. So that's a picture of this. So here's, here's like, the deal. It's wild. It's waste. It's unruly. It's dark. And and here's God hovering over the water. And what does God do? He takes this uncreated mess and he makes it awesome. I mean, that's what Genesis 1 is. It's like he takes this wild waste and, and he begins to speak and he begins to speak life. And at the end of every thing that God creates, he's like, wow, that is good. You read Genesis 1, it's like, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is light and darkness, land and sky and plants and animals. There is this crescendo of goodness. And finally, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, you get to the, the pinnacle of what God creates. And do you know what it is? Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, this crescendo is, it's like building and he says, and then God said, let us make mankind, human beings, in our image. 
in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity, mankind. He created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And God saw, notice this, this is like the last word from God here we have in Genesis 1, and God saw all that he had made, and what does he say about it? It's very good. It's awesome. So here's God. Like, this is what we know about God from Genesis 1. It's like, so loving, so generous, overflowing with creativity. He creates this world and he takes it from being this, this disordered chaos and he makes this ordered beauty. And it is good, it is good, it is very good. And human beings made in God's image, you and I, right, are, are like the crowning creation that God made. Do you feel that way? When you got up this morning, you looked at yourself in the mirror were those the thoughts that went through your head? When you got here and you looked around and you looked somebody else in the eye, right, where you're like, wow, like how cool is this that I get to be like in the same space as these people that God made in his image and like the crowning achievement of his creation. This is, this is what Genesis 1 says. And God, like he, he creates human beings in his image and he creates us to flourish. He creates us to uh, to, to experience the fullness of life with him. Um, it says to these human beings that he makes a, a couple of things. We won't spend a lot of time on it, but I, I just want to point this out. He, he tells them the command. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Now, maybe you've never caught this before. In Genesis 1, you get the picture that God creates the world full of fish. It says like the, the seas were teeming with fish. And then he creates the skies full of birds, and he creates the, the land full of animals. It's like the picture is there's life everywhere. But he doesn't do that with human beings. He doesn't create the world full of human beings. What does he do? He creates two. He creates Adam and Eve, a man and a woman. And then he gives them the commission, now you create life. This is, this is pretty amazing, isn't it? Like that God empowers human beings with the capacity to create life. And, and this is like, I think this is so important to just say like every, every time a child is conceived, every time a child is, is conceived, God is creating anew. Like God is creating again. And God is choosing to do this, to create new human life in partnership with his people, with humanity. Like that we are stewards of his creation. We're partners in God's creative work. And every child that is brought into this world is created in the image of God just like Adam and Eve were. And this is what God says, be fruitful, multiply. Now, this is, a, this is an incredible privilege and an unbelievable responsibility. Are you with me? I mean, this is this incredible privilege that we have this, this, this power to create, and it is, it is an unbelievable responsibility as well. Like, wow, this holy responsibility of, of bringing life in, into the world— and, and let me just be very clear, no matter what the circumstances around your being brought into the world, you are not an accident. You're not. Like that you are created in the image of God, that God loves you, that sees you, that he formed you 
in your mother's womb. And, and he has amazing plans for you to, to flourish in life with him. There are no accidental human beings, no matter what the circumstances around that. So God commissions these people, be fruitful, multiply, and then he says a couple of other things to him. He uses these words that maybe make us uncomfortable. He uses words like uh, subdue and rule over creation. But what does that even mean? Have you ever heard the phrase, like, put the kibosh on it? Have you ever heard that phrase? That's actually where we get in the, the word subdue. I think next slide kind of highlights those other two words. The word subdue is the Hebrew word kibosh. So God, like, literally says, like, put the kibosh on creation. Like, how many of you know if you leave your yard alone for the whole summer, what's going to happen? You won't have a yard, right, in, like, October. You will have a jungle. Like, it will be a small forest. It will, um, creation is not static. It moves, it expands, it grows. You can pour concrete and then creation just comes up through the cracks of the concrete unless somebody does what? Puts the kibosh on it. So this is what God says. I, I created this world that's full of like all this stuff, all this life. Now you, human beings, steward it. Put the kibosh on it. Steer it. Uh, recently, I don't know, this is kind of a tangent, but I think it's super interesting. Have you, have you, uh, Seen how they're like discovering these ancient civilizations that got buried by the jungle in the Bolivian rainforest? They use this radar, like that they can they can detect these structures. It's so cool. Like what happened? People, like image bearers of God, like abandon these places, and then what happens? Like the jungle kind of takes over again. Like that's what's gonna happen. So God puts us in the world with his mandate to put the kibosh on, to 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 subdue it, and then he uses this word to rule over it, like to, to reign over creation. Like God says, it's my kingdom, I own the house, but this is your room, right? Rule over it, take care of it, order it. Kids, order it, your room. Put your shoes away. And, and this word rule, it's not harsh and heavy. It's not, it's not like exploit it, and use it for your own selfish means. It's not rule over ruthlessly. It's, it's like caretaking, being a trustee. It implies that, hey, human beings made in the image of God, your call, like your calling, your commission, is to, is to like take God's goodness and his, his nature, his love, and to share it with everyone else to share it with each other, to share it with God's good world. Practice care and mercy, help and protection. Create wholeness and flourishing in your relationships. So rule is not a harsh and heavy word. It is a very beautiful, beautiful word. So this is the original call. Now you can look at this and say, that sounds great, but that is not the life I live. That is not the world we live in. I mean, a world where everybody has this invitation to flourish. Like, we live in a world that feels broken, and, and there's suffering, and, and we're going to talk about that. Like, next week, like, next week, if you've ever asked the question, why is the world so messed up? Why is there so much pain in the world? How could a good and loving God allow so much pain? Come next week, because we're going to talk about that. Dennis is going to be preaching again, so he's going to, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> punt that one. But like, so of course this isn't the world, this isn't the world we live in, and we have to acknowledge that, but it's, the world as we experience it is not the way it was intended to be, right? The, the world we, as we experience it, it doesn't, it isn't the way that God created it to be. 
And so we're going to talk about that. But it is so important for us to start the story in Genesis 1 and 2. The story does not start with human sin. It doesn't start with human failure and, and a broken world. The story starts with a good God creating a good world, putting people in this world to rule over it, to steward it in his love and kindness. Does that make sense? Now, lastly, if you are going to, if you're going to make a list, and maybe you have paper, um, if, you, if you do, I invite you to, to make this simple, like, order chart. Ten at the top, one at the bottom. And this is just like a, an order of creation, of like the kingdom of God, like top to bottom. God's at the top. God's king, right? Can we all agree on that? We're, we're here on a Sunday morning? Like, yes, God is king. It's his creation. He, he has say so. What's number one of like of all the created things? What would you put at the bottom of the list? Think, some of you wish like you just like wipe that off the planet. Snakes? Cockroaches? Poison ivy, yeah? Anything else? Mosquitoes? Fires, yeah. Fruit flies? Yeah, cancer. Yeah, ticks. Yeah, so, okay, so we got all this stuff, and you could, like, you could go through, like, what are your most, like, desirable things, maybe, that God created, but here's a question. Now, don't answer this. Where are humans on this list? Where are human beings? On, on the order of one to ten, and again, you don't, just kind of hold your answers, but, like, where would you put yourself as a human being on this list? Are you, like, just, like, somewhere above a one? Middle of the list somewhere? Somewhere closer to the top? I think this is so important. Now, let's, let's just look real briefly at Psalm 8, the psalm we read right at the beginning. And I want to let Psalm 8 answer this question. Psalm 8, it is so beautiful. It's great, a great just song to put to memory. And here, here's what it says. Lord, our Lord. Lord, our King, you're a 10. Like, you're, you're at the top. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God's a 10. Like, we're, we're going to affirm that God is in charge. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And God, everybody recognizes it. You have set your glory in the heavens. And even children and infants, they get it. And, and they proclaim your praises just by being alive. These children, like, they worship you just through the, you know, their, their being. Um, and then it gets to verse 3. Psalm 8, verse 3 says this, So when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is mankind, human beings, what am I, that you're mindful of us, human beings that you care for us? Do you ever feel that way? Like, God, when I consider the heavens that you made, what in the world am I? I mean, that's, that's a verse that can make you feel really small. A couple of years ago, um, I was hiking a, a four, you know what a 14er is? It's a 14,000-foot peak in Colorado, and I was doing it with, with two of my good friends, and um, we, we took off. We got to the trailhead of Quandry Peak at like 3.30 in the morning, and we take off. We start hiking, and we're getting just about up to tree line, and just before we were going to like kind of move through the tree line up toward the summit. Uh, it was before, just before daybreak, before first light. 
And we decide, we're just going to stop, we're going to take some food in and rest. And so we turn our headlamps off when we're sitting there. And it was like the most spectacular night sky, early morning, pre-dawn sky. Unbelievable. And so we're just like sitting there, and we're, at first we're talking and whatever, and then we just start to notice. And we just get really silent, like really still. And we had no idea, but there was like a meteor shower that night. And so we're just like sitting there just like watching the goodness of like God's creation just overwhelm us with beauty. And it was like that, in a moment like that, Psalm 19, just like those words came, I think the Spirit just like brought those words into my mind, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of your hands. And you feel like if you have moments like that, you feel certain things, like right, there's gratitude and there's just awe, and there's wonder, and yet you feel so small. You just feel like, wow, like, well, God, this is so beautiful, and like, who am I in light of all this? And it's not always bad to feel small. I think, like, sometimes, like, our feeling small is we don't feel lost, we don't feel forgotten, but feeling our smallness isn't necessarily bad, but yet sometimes we just, like, feel like, wow, I must be, like, way down the list. I must be, like, a one on the list. And so how, how does Psalm 8 answer the question of like, what are human beings? Where, God, where do you see human beings on the list of creation? How, how does the Psalm answer that? You read on and it says this. You might be surprised. You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. Where are human beings on the list? God made us a little lower than the angels. Now here's the interesting thing. If you have a different translation, that word translated angels in the NIV is the same word. It's Elohim. It's the same word for in the beginning God created. It, sometimes it's translated angels, sometimes heavenly beings, sometimes it's just the name used for God. And so it's like, we don't know exactly what, do, what does that mean? He created us a little lower than the heavenly beings, a little lower than the angels, a little lower than God. Like, we don't know what that means other than we affirm that God is a 10 and human beings are just a little below, like, the heavenly creatures. That's crazy, right? I mean, this is... This is where God puts us. And then he says, like, not only that, I made you a little bit lower than the angels, but I crowned you with glory and honor and made you the rulers over the works of God's hands and put everything under your feet. Like everything under our feet. From God's perspective, human beings, you and I, created in God's image, we are the crown of his creation. The stars, the meteorites, all of that is under your feet. You are more precious to God than any other component in his creation. Does this make somebody uncomfortable? Like, does it kind of make you a little bit uncomfortable? To, like, really? Like, I feel like a one or a two. Like, is it, does it make God more glorious if I put myself further down the list? Does it? 
Like there's this idea like it's, it's called like worm theology and it's like, man, if I just like, I gotta push myself down to make God glorious. Like just be real clear, the distance between God at a 10 and wherever human beings are, whether it's a nine, is infinite, right? Like that distance is infinite. And so the best thing we can do to bring God glory is what? Is be who he made us to be. And God said of you, he said of all human beings, I have crowned you with glory and honor. It, it glorifies God to see human beings recognize who he has made us to be, to take our place in his created world, to receive his commands, and to share and to steward his love and his life with the world around you. And then the psalm ends this way. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Don't forget God is a 10. Don't try to be a 10. Don't try to be the king. Don't try to be in charge. Right? But it glorifies God when human beings take on their proper place as the crown of all creation. How are we doing? So when you look at yourself in the mirror, what would happen if you agreed with God about who you are? Like what would happen if those voices that you heard were actually the voice of truth, were the voice of Psalm 8, were the voice of Genesis 1 that says, wow, God, you, like you created me in your image. You've called me. You've given me this high calling. And, and God, I, I blow it and I fail. And yet you love me and you crown me with glory and honor. God, thank you. God, help me to glorify you. Help me to glorify you by living into like my proper place in the world. How, what difference would this make about how you see yourself? And what difference will it make for how you see the people around you? Like what if, what if every person that we encounter just by the way we were with them, by the way we looked at them in the eyes, by the way we honored them with our time and our attention and our presence, what if they walked away from that interaction just feeling honored, feeling valuable? What about those people who like we, we encounter who have their heads hung down, that they're just like they feel ashamed, they feel so broken, and, and I think this is what Jesus did, like, right? He steps into the world and he begins to help people who, who have been broken and, and beaten down and pushed to the edges. He helps them feel their God-given place of dignity. Their, their value in his eyes. And I think this is what he calls us to do. I think this is what it means. One of the things it means for you and I to be like the rulers, like that, the place that God has given us in creation is to actually just spread the, the, the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God to the people around us. What if, what if, would it mean for a church to have a culture of honor within, even within like our own selves, our relationships? Well, you know what it would it would mean we wouldn't gossip about each other, right? It would mean we wouldn't, like, try to tear each other down or push, each, push, push ourselves up. It would mean, like, everything we do, we would want to honor others above ourselves because we want every person to know, to know um, that who they are and who God has created them to be. So this is, um, this is how the story begins. So I just want to like, we'll take a, take a minute here and just kind of, whatever, whatever you need to hear from the Spirit today, just open your heart. Open your heart to just kind of like, to receive. Believe that God wants to meet you and he, he knows what you're feeling, he knows what you're going through and let him, let him speak to you. So we'll take a few minutes of silence and I'll close in prayer.
God, we, um, we sang that song earlier, uh, Holy Spirit, come invade our hearts. And we still pray it. God, we need it. We need your spirit of truth, of life, of revelation to come and speak to our hearts, to invade our hearts, to shine light on any darkness that's there. And so we just, we receive it. I want to step into your light. God, if there are things that we need uh, to be taught, that you would just uh, highlight those. If there are ways that we need rebuked, where our, our thinking, our, our actions, they just aren't in line with the truth of who you have revealed yourself to be. Give us the courage to turn around, to turn back toward you. If there are places that need correction, and God, more than anything, teach us what it means to live in your kingdom, to to celebrate, to affirm that you are king, that you are the Lord, our Lord, and your name is majestic in all of the earth. Help us to recognize the beauty and the wonder of your created world. And God, help us to feel both the the awe-inspiring wonder of being humans created in your image, the crown of your creation, given this place of honor and dignity in your world. And God, help us to steward that well. Help us to feel both the honor and the incredible responsibility of that. We trust, God, that you are with us and you will lead us. And we pray, just like you taught your disciples, Lord Jesus, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth, in our lives, just as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.